welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Patrick, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I, I know I belong here because I too am a crappy Christian in more ways than I wish. <laughs> welcome aboard. <laughs> People either love it and are like, that's me. They're like, what is this? So, <laughs> hey, I saw it and I liked it immediately because the truth is that, you know, I, I think our faith journey is a process. Exactly. And if people hadn't been gracious with me and my process, I mean, if you met me when I was a 19 year old becoming a Christian, I mean, I, I hope I was a more crappy Christian then. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, today, but people loving you through through the process of changing and transforming your views, changing your attitudes, your behaviors, all of that. And of course, you know, until the resurrection, we're, we're all going to have something that's a little bit messed up. Amen. I love the spirit. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I am really excited about you and kind of your platform and what you're talking about. Your book, Truth Over Tribe, Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant, comes out October 4th. Congratulations on a book, baby. Yeah, thank you. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording that we're on pretty similar wavelengths in that the like two conservative for liberals, two liberal for conservatives, mm -hmm. trying to find that middle ground where I think a lot where the church really should be landing more often than not um, and kind of trying to help people get there, not just pointing it out and being like, this is what it should be. But OK, how do we actually get there, do this effectively, preserve relationships, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about like Truth Over Tribe and your book and, and your platform. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. So, some people see the title and they think that we've got an ulterior motive. Like we're uh, secret Democrats <laughs> trying to turn Republicans into or secret Republicans trying to turn Democrats into Republicans. And this book does not have a political agenda. Well, I, I should correct that. It does have a political agenda. And this is it. The kingdom of God is our politic. We Amen. should put the kingdom ahead of everything else. Our citizenship in heaven should uh, supersede our citizenship on the earth. And so I don't expect anyone to read this book and, and walk out in a different political party than they entered it. But I do hope that people read this and it takes their political affiliation and maybe lowers it on the scale of importance in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it raises up Jesus as being the primary thing, as the primary politic, as the primary a God that we worship and that we put first. And I think if we can do that, we're going to build bridges that can't be built otherwise. Mm -hmm. And when you look around the world, which is so partisan and tribal and people are fighting with each other, shouldn't the church be the one place in the world where you see Democrats worshiping alongside Republicans? You see uh, people who voted for Donald Trump in the same small group as people who voted for Joe Biden. By the way, if people saw that, it, it would it would be a witness to the world that that the broken structures and systems of the world, they don't work. They can't bring people together. But you know who can? Mm -hmm. Jesus. And he's been doing that since the beginning. You know, tax collectors and zealots in the same room, Jews and Gentiles in the same church. This is right at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And I think in a real sense, we've lost this in the church and we desperately need to reclaim it. Okay, so my primary question as someone who is in the political sphere is have you 
found a way to do this and still hold on to the things that you believe politically, like to, <laughs> to be able to be like, I believe that this is right. Like, let's say the pro-life movement, whatever it needs to be, but still being able to have those conversations lovingly and maybe less partisanly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, so our, our church, my co-authors, Keith Simon, we're already in a politically diverse church. Uh, I live in Missouri, and so that's a red state, but we're in a college town in that red mm. state. So we're a blue dot in a red state. And because our church draws from uh, the county and the environs amount around it, we have people on both sides of the political aisle coming together and worshiping together. And that worked really well for like 16 years until the 2016 election happened, yep. and then the second watershed of 2020 happening. And in those moments, we've really had to wrestle with, is it possible to hold true to uh, our convictions to Jesus and, and allow those to be more important than our political allegiances. And I mean, again, it's, I have so many stories of this. Like one that comes to mind is in 2020, after George Floyd was brutally murdered, the whole nation watches this on camera. And obviously people are, are, are stricken, they're grieved. And someone messaged us on Facebook and said, hey, if you don't talk about this this morning, if you don't grieve George Floyd, I'm going to leave the church. Now, Here's the thing. We had already planned. Jesus told us, blessed are the mourners. Paul said, mm -hmm. mourn with those who mourn. So we had already planned, not because we had allegiance to the donkey, but because we had allegiance to the lamb and he told us how to live. We're going to talk about this and we're going to mourn this death and what it means in our country. But the minute we did that, what do you think happens afterwards? Well, we right. start getting emails from everyone on the right saying, hey, are, are you saying that all police officers are racist? And we're like, well, well uh, no, 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 no. We, 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 never, we never said that. And I use as an illustration because what I think is happening is it's almost like a Rorschach test, right? Like people are seeing these political events flash on the screen and they respond to it. But look, your response says more about you than it does about what you see. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's January 6th or it's George Floyd or it's Mar-a-Lago, whatever it is, these events that happen, you're, you're seeing more into your own heart than you are seeing into the event. And so I think one way that you can build these bridges is by just admitting that. Like mm -hmm. I'm a subject, I don't have the corner on the truth. I can admit when I'm wrong I can listen to someone who I disagree with and not feel like I have to, you know, win the fight or the argument or the debate because I don't want to win the fight. I want to win a friend. Like that's mm -hmm. my goal in the end. And so we've had to really navigate this in a practical manner in our church. Yeah, I think not wanting to win, not needing to be right is huge in the political commentator space because you don't see very many people come back and say when more information comes out, oh wait. The situation wasn't what I thought it was or, you know, like you're not seeing that humility, which means no, like I said what I said. And that means that that's what I believe. And that's what's at the forefront versus like the truth mattering. My big issue that I, I talk about fairly often with conservative commentators, especially is they are snarky as hell. Like they are so snarky. And I mean, liberals can be too, but you see people professing Jesus and talking to people like they're idiots. And I'm like, what, what are, what are you winning? Like you're, you're winning the snarky competition. <laughs> <laughs> That's not supposed to be the competition that we're in. Exactly. And, and, and it's sad because what you see happen over time is that the political pundits start shaping Christians more than Jesus does. Right. The sermonizing of Tucker Carlson becomes more important than the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. The pages of the New York Times become more important than the pages of the Bible. And when that starts happening and we take on the personas, the personality, the style of these people, we leave behind all the things Jesus told us to do. You know, he said, blessed are the meek and mm -hmm. the gentle. Mm -hmm. He said, love your enemies. These are really challenging teachings that are just the basics, though, of Christian ethics, what it means to live like a Christian. 
And I think sometimes people have this attitude right now. It's like, no, you don't understand. These are dark times. Things are worse right now. So ordinary Christian ethics, they no longer apply because we're in the middle of a war. And I always want to say, go back to the first century. They were living under Roman occupation. Christians are being crucified and, and murdered left and right. Trust me, they had it worse. And yet right. they still chose gentleness. They still right. chose to love their enemies. So actually, this is exactly what we need in a moment like this. Amen. I want to talk about this in a relational aspect, kind of yeah. going from like macro to micro view. I think a lot of people that are listening have likely had politics, tribalism, one side of the aisle versus the other impact their relationships, kind of like you said, especially post 2016. That really, that election really changed everything. 2020 kind of doubled down on that. How have you seen this, you know, the allegiance to the donkey or the elephant hurting relationship? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've got so many stories I can share here from our community, and <laughs> we can walk through all of them if you want to. But but let me share a story of a, of a very close friend of mine. She was going to a family reunion. It was not her family. It was her husband's family. And this is this big reunion that's been happening for 37 years, like 100 people from this family come. Now, I'm probably a bad person because I, I never want to do a family reunion. That's not. Right. That's not <laughs> no, thank you. Don't sign me up for that. But, but she she had a great spirit. And so this is in 2016 and they all get together and, you know, they got a few bush lights deep. And next thing you know, one of the family members starts announcing that she's a never Trumper. She'll never vote for Trump. And then another guy says, oh, no, I, I love Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the best. And it causes this fight to snowball. And it probably would have ended there. You know, they would have left, come back a year later and forgotten about it, except for Facebook, because the group, the family, they had a Facebook group, which I'm sure before this was was wonderful and peaceable. But the fight moved over onto Facebook and they continued and, and they got way. I mean, just what the Internet does. Right. Because you're not looking someone right in the face. They got mean. They got vindictive. And, and then weirder things started happening. Uh, there was a family member who died at a very young age with young kids from brain cancer unexpectedly. And uh, family members on the other side of the political aisle boycotted his funeral. They boycotted his funeral because of his political beliefs. That's embarrassing. And later on, there's there's a wedding that happens on the other side, and they don't invite people <laughs> to come to the wedding because of their political beliefs. And so we're seeing a family that loves each other enough to have a 37-year-long family reunion being shredded apart by tribalism. And you would think, you know, blood runs thick, right? Like that should matter more. But in, in today's era, it, it doesn't. And I can, again, I can just tell you so many stories of how tribalism is tearing apart relationships and hurting people deeply. Yeah. Well, and the more I think about it, the more it's, we get our identity misplaced. Oh yeah. It, it becomes a political identity versus like you said at the beginning that Jesus and scripture were so clear, like neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free, like mm -hmm. we're all his kids. And I feel like the enemy loves that story. Yes. Loves it. Thinks that like some of his best work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the devil wants nothing more in the church than to divide us across political lines or to turn the church into a court profit for one party or the other. Yeah. I mean, if you want to if you want to grow a church right now, one of the best ways to do it is just go full bore politics on the left or right. Just pick mm -hmm. one or the other, you know, throw in a 15 minute political rant in every single sermon. And, and I can point to multiple churches. This is how they're growing. And I don't think that that honors Jesus. But I think a more fundamental question is, 
even outside of the church, what kind of community do you want to live in? Mm -hmm. You want to live in a community where people assume the worst about each other because of their political leanings. You want to live in a community where people don't talk. They, they, they can't engage where people cancel each other because they have disagreements. Yeah. Um, and again, like <laughs> we've experienced this in a very real way in, in our local community and it's been painful. I have a friend that's local here in Baton Rouge to me who we could not possibly be more different on the spectrum. Like couldn't be more opposite and we we aren't super close but we run into each other at the park with our kids and stuff like that and every single time we're usually with someone that knows both of us and they are in awe that we're standing there enjoying one another's company yes. our kids are playing together i'm like this should not be impressive like this should not be something to be impressed by but it is it's so true and those kinds of friendships now are strange but they're beautiful and yeah. we need more of them you know, in our community, we have this uh, film festival here. It's a documentary film festival. It's one of the largest in the country. And it's run, as you might expect, in a lot of the arts by very progressive people. And so, gosh, about 12 years ago, we reached out to them and said, hey, we want to partner with you. We we, we want to start a little nonprofit fund. You pick a film and we'll help raise money for the subjects of the film. And so we, we've helped all kinds of people with this. There's, there's a film that was about bullying. And so we helped kids that have been bullied. There's a film about... Um, immigrants trying to come to the United States. And so we helped immigrants. There was one about the LGBTQ community and, and, and some of the you know pain and suffering that they've gone through. And again, we helped inside of that community. And when we initially reached out to them, they were a little bit skeptical. They're like, what's this evangelical church doing? You know, are they trying to co-opt us? But over the years, we built this really sincere friendship with the people who were running the festival. So much so that we actually embarked on a little project together called the Aletheia Project where we would show progressive films in evangelical churches. The first one we did was called After Tiller. It's about third-term abortions. We showed it in our own church, and we had a debate, a dialogue afterwards between Christians and people who are not Christians. And as you can imagine, like this, this is it, it was exciting. It was really cool. We eventually went off to New York City. We, we did it at Tim Keller's church. So we were, we're doing all this stuff. But two weeks after we were in New York City, uh, we preached a sermon. And the sermon was about Genesis 1, and God created them male and female. And because we preached through the Bible, we, we said what it said, which is that there are two immutable genders. Now, 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 the heart of the sermon, I want to be clear, was we should love our transgender neighbors. Right. We might disagree with their perspective, but we should love them. That was the heart of the message. Well, when that happened, uh, it caused a huge hubbub in the community. People started demanding that the film festival cancel us, that they break off their partnership with us. These are people who didn't even go to the festival. I mean, when I say our partnership, like... People who went to our church were on their staff team. Mm -hmm. People who were at True False were coming to her. And we had this deep relationship. And so they they eventually, you know, had to go with it. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know what they could have done differently. You know, they, yeah. they were stuck and I, I don't judge them for it. And so they wrote a letter saying that they wouldn't work with us anymore and explaining why. And in that moment, we had a choice to make. Like, would we fire back? Would we say bad things about them? We say, hey, you guys knew this was our view to begin with. Like we didn't change anything. Mm -hmm. um, and instead it goes back to the ethics of Jesus. We said, you know what we're going to do? I got onto social media and I wrote how much I love True False Film Festival. Yeah, I wrote, I said, hey, I hope everybody keeps going to this film festival. Let's stay invested here. And the, the, the guy who ran the festival came to me afterwards and, and he looked at me. He's not a Christian. He's very progressive. He, he just looks at me and he goes, I just want you to know that was a masterclass on grace. <sighs> And I wanted to take credit for it. Like, yeah, you know what? I did awesome. And I just look ah. at him and I go, I go, you know what? That's not me. I learned from the master of grace. I learned from Jesus. This is how he tells us to treat people. So I just share that story to say like, 
the kind of community you want to live in was the one before the cancellation where people are talking and dialoguing and you don't want to live in the one after the cancellation. But even in those circumstances, we have to love, we have to show mercy, we have to show grace. But I think there is also an appreciation for the fact that you were not willing to change scripture. Yes. Because we're seeing that as well. I mean, that oh, yeah. is that is happening and it's it's very confusing. I'm like, wait, which which Bible are we picking up? But what I love is that you're consistent. And I think my friend that I was just referencing that we're very different, what she appreciates and I think respects about me and that what she encourages me with often, I don't say this to toot my own horn at all but is that I'm consistent. She's like, you're consistent. You don't cherry pick what out of scripture because you stuck with Genesis 1-1 and then you also stuck with turning the other cheek because that that scripture is about like insults and not retaliating. Mm. And you can't pick one and then be like, well, mm, no, shoo, shoo, shoo. it's fine. I'm going to retaliate. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You were consistent. It's really hard to be consistent right now um, because there's so many pressures to go the opposite direction. And the weird thing is, if you can be consistent, if you can show people grace and love and mercy, and yet also stand firmly on the truth, you're going to see weird things happen. Like at our church, we have people in the LGBTQ community who who worship there and yeah. they're in process with us. And, and those are beautiful stories of redemption and restoration and transformation that we get to see unfold because we don't shove them out the door because they don't look like us or think like us. No, we welcome them right in, but yeah. we don't welcome them in by discarding the truth and throwing it out at the side. And those are really hard to hold together. But I think when we do, again, it's what I said about your friendship. Those friendships are strange, but but they're beautiful. They yeah. are beautiful. And when people see them, they say, oh my gosh, I want more of that. Whatever that is, yeah. give me that because it's nowhere else. And you say, well, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And that's like what the church is supposed to look like, right? Like they will know you by your love. Now, does the love sometimes tell the truth that is uncomfortable? Yes, but it also chooses grace above being right or winning. Mm -hmm. And I think another part of the issue is that the world has made love and agreement synonymous. Yes. And that's just not, <laughs> that's, this is not possible. I love that man that just walked in here and gave me a drink, like with everything inside of me. And we've been together for 11 years and he is my better half, truly. We do not agree on everything. Yeah. We disagree on a lot of things because we're two individuals with different experiences, with different upbringings, but I still love him so much. And that's overwhelmingly, I think the backlash that a lot of Christians get is that like Jesus said to love, this isn't very loving. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you've missed and redefined love. Thirty million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician-formulated formulas using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. 
This is their best offer they offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Blake. Yeah, absolutely. And I think marriage is actually a really beautiful picture of what we're supposed to do alongside one another. One of the things I think happens, some people think the answer to, to, to political tribalism is, well, let's just stop talking about politics. And one, I don't think that's an answer because I think part of how you love your neighbor is through politics. Because guess what? Your neighbor's life is shaped by the policies and the decisions that are made both locally and nationally. So you can't love your neighbor and just ignore it. But number two, it comes down to this. If you have issues in your marriage, is it a good strategy to just stop talking about it? Like, hey, I know we have this problem, but let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's just ignore that it. That always works out. It. <laughs> I love that. It never works, you know? Right. And, and yeah, I think that's what we want to do with politics in the church is, oh, let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's just... And when we do that, what we end up doing is we end up outsourcing discipleship because the the people who aren't talking about it, they're going to get discipled somewhere. Yeah. And again, it might be Fox News. It might be the New York Times. It might be wherever it is that they're gathering their, their their news media, but they're going to get discipled in their politics somewhere. And it's not going to be the church because the church said, well, we don't talk about it. <laughs> Thank you. I could not. I literally, if I had a dollar for every DM or comment I got that Christians shouldn't talk about politics, I'd never have to work again. Ooh, maybe that's a good strategy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you have to pay me a dollar if you're going to say that to me. <laughs> new, new revenue stream. I'm like, what? Where where else do you think Christians don't belong? Hmm. Is there anywhere else? Or are we allowed to talk about, we're allowed to talk about pop culture. We're allowed to talk about culture. We're allowed to talk about economics. We're allowed to talk about sociology. Just not pol politics because it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and it's becoming more complicated because politics is subsuming everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what was considered political 10 years ago is a much smaller category of things than what's considered political today. Very. But I would I would press back on the Christian who said we shouldn't talk about politics simply by saying that if you go to the New Testament, there's a lot of politics happening. Yeah. Jesus's favorite pastime was, you know, drum roll please, talking about a kingdom, you know? That's a political entity. Yeah. The word gospel comes from the parlance of political language. There was an inscription that was found in uh, it was written in 9 BCE. It was describing Augustus Caesar, who was a Caesar at the time of Jesus' birth. And the inscription reads something to the effect of, this is the gospel <laughs> the <good laughs> news of the birth of Augustus Caesar, who is our Lord and our Savior, and who has brought peace to the entire world. So how radical is it when a Jewish rabbi walks around and starts announcing a different gospel about a different Lord, about a different Savior, who is the true Prince of Peace? And you wonder why this guy got crucified. Treason. Exactly. Treason. Yes, he died so that he could, you know, we could be joined with God and have relationship with him and that our sins died with him. But like, you got to, you got to track that back a little bit. Like, why mm -hmm. did they put him on the cross? Yeah. I mean, look, if you ask Pilate, hey, are you putting him on the cross? Why? He didn't go, well, because I want to make sure that he dies for my sins. <laughs> exactly. Pilate didn't understand what's going on. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. That's the theological reason he died on the cross. Exactly. That was not the sociological, historical reason why he died. Nor was it the reason, by the way, that early Christians were martyred left and right. These people paid taxes. They took care of the poor. What did they refuse to do? They refused to say that Caesar is Lord. They refused yep. to give him their ultimate allegiance. They said that we worship a different king than Caesar. 
And that's why they were crucified. That's why they were martyred left and right. And so to say that we shouldn't talk about politics in the church, well, then let's stop talking about the gospel because I hate to break it to you. The gospel is a politic. Oh, hello. <laughs> it's all good. Okay. So we've we've covered kind of like what this looks like, what the tribalism, how it's happened and the impact that it's having both on communities and on relationships. What does Jesus tell us about resisting this? You know, Jesus wasn't someone who was like, hey, don't do this. And then was like, haha, figure it out. You know, like he yeah. gave us good instruction. How can we avoid going down that road? Yeah, I, th I think that's a fantastic question. And and honestly, the our book is not written for academics. It's it's based on a lot of academic research, uh, but it's written for everyday people. And I think if you read it, you're going to walk away with really, really practical steps. How do I combat this in my personal life? Um, in fact, the entire third part of the book is dedicated to this. So uh, a few things from, from that section. One of my favorite ones is just to start with this. You show generosity and kindness. Yep. This is what Jesus did for us. While we were still God's enemies, what did he do? He laid down his life. He gave us the generous gift of his life in our place. And so one of the ways that I think we tear down tribalism is by showing radical generosity. One way we did this at, at our church, this was, I want to say 2021 um, over Easter, is we we partnered with this group called RIP Medical Debt. And what this group does is it cancels medical debt for, for anybody who makes under two times the poverty line. And if you don't know anything about medical debt, it can it, it can absolutely wreck your life. You can't get a job, you can't get a house. It your your, your family members are being hounded by collectors trying to get their In money, there. and because it's 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 incredibly difficult. And because uh, people in that category are so unlikely to pay back their debt, you can buy their debt from banks for a penny on the dollar. So you mm -hmm. spend one penny, you buy a dollar of debt. And so we had this radical idea in our church. We said, hey, what if we canceled all of the medical debt in our county? That was our goal. And so and so we said, it's Easter. God canceled our debt on the cross. Let's cancel debt in our community. We ended up raising about $430,000. It canceled $43 million worth of medical debt. That was 33 counties, so not just our county in the state. And you know what happened? It meant that people who were Black and white and Latino and Asian, straight and gay, trans and not trans, Every category of person you can imagine got a letter in the mail that just said this, your medical debt has been canceled in the name of Jesus. Now you want to talk about something that tears down tribalism. I saw this happen. An atheist friend reached out to me and said, I have not thought about Jesus in years because I think these people are all hypocrites. They're all fakers. You guys are all just a bunch of conservative whack jobs. You know, all the names. You're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I saw you do that, it made me rethink things. It made me ask, gosh, if a group's willing to be that generous to those who are not inside of their walls, to those who are outside of their walls, maybe there is something to that. And that's one of the ways I think that we cancel out a tribalism is just by showing generosity and kindness to the people who are showing harm towards us. If you can Amen. respond in love, you, I mean, just watch the walls come down. Yeah. Amen. I completely agree. And I think you do see a lot, especially in the political realm of graciousness being extended to their own mm. and not so much outside of the walls. That is actually something I'm really thankful that the church that we attend regularly is really like really good about is, you know, we do multiple ministries that are in our community, not just for Bible studies and fundraisers and stuff like that. And it's all like within the walls. And I don't think that those are bad things. I think you have yeah, to leave, those things. You love your body. You love your community. But how can you like look outside of yourself and your tribe 
you know, and kind of move past that, I think is because it is so radical and it is forces. It absolutely forces people who hate you and what you believe in to go, Ooh, Ooh. Okay. Maybe because look, we talk a lot on this show about the ways that Christians do get it wrong yeah, and the church does get it wrong. And I think that I think that that's helpful too, being able to recognize and admit that we can't do this perfectly and we are going to mess it up and we're doing our best, but those moves, they, I think they change everything. Well, and I think you hit on another theme that we talk about in the book, which is you admit when you don't know, mm-hmm. you admit when you're wrong. Yeah. I don't know why Christian it, it's a, it's anathema for some Christians to, to say, I don't know. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have the answer to that question or to be more confident than they should be in what they know. I remember a conversation I was having with a woman in our church who's really concerned because she said we were preaching social justice because we were talking about some racial issues. And she said, that's not your job. Your job is to preach the gospel. And I'm just listening. And she says, here's the thing. There's not a single thing in the New Testament about race. There's nothing in there. So why are you talking about this? And I just kind of smiled through gritted teeth because I thought, man, you are really confident right now. And you are, you know, fantastically so wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're way, way, way wrong. In fact, there's probably no topic that the, that the new Testament discusses more than uh, race relations between Jews and Gentiles right. in particular. And, and I bring that up to say, like, that's something I try to embrace in my life is you become a lot less tribal. If you're just willing to admit when you don't have the answers. I think about Proverbs. It warns us. It says, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Amen. Yeah. And that's so many of us, you know, I love this one. It says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. It's like this like really dark yeah. passage about like what happens when you're overconfident about your beliefs. And again, Christians, I don't think should be overconfident about any of their beliefs. I mean, there's yeah. some things that we're going to hold strongly, but even there, we should ha- we should be open to someone saying, Hey, I think you have it wrong. Let's talk about the evidence. Have it, let's have an open conversation. I completely agree. That's something that does not, I don't think that comes naturally to humans. I don't even know that that's a Christian specific thing. I think humans in general, we like to be right. And we like to think that the facts are in our corner. But one of the things that I do try to lead with is like, there's a few things that I will like, there are very few Hills that I will die on. And they are like, Jesus is the only way truth in life. The resurrection. The resurrection. <laughs> is that your list? <laughs> That's kind of my list. Well, like even those are funny examples, right? Because like if someone said, hey, how confident are you in the resurrection? You know, on a scale of 10, you know, one to 10, 10 being absolutely confident. I'd be like, well, I, I give that a nine out of 10. Like I'm, I am fairly certain about this. Yeah. They said, is there any evidence I could show you that could persuade you that this wasn't real, that it didn't happen? I'd say, well, yes, of course there's evidence you could show me. The evidence I've seen has persuaded me in the opposite direction. And I think that just illustrates that we, you know, even on the things that we hold really tightly, we don't hold them tightly because we've just made some sort of blind leap of faith. Hopefully we came there for good reason. And we hold those views with a deep confidence for good reason. That's why we stand there. And yeah, I'm open to disconfirmation. But also there's a an element of faith, right? That that needs to be unshakable. Like this is what scripture says. And and do I like do I believe that or not? Like, yes, there is like geological historical proof that prove a lot of the events of the Bible. And those things, my, those are my kids' favorite TikToks to watch. Like anything where they find Noah's Ark, yeah. we watch it like a hundred times. But at the same time, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's like a give and take of like, yes, I do want to have historical and researched knowledge, but also like, 
I also know that I'm not going to have all the answers and I'm not going to be able to prove this to you because it requires faith. I, th- I think it's exactly right in the sense that no one has 100% certainty on anything. Right. I'm not 100% certain that my birthday is right. I have to trust that my parents, you know, and the doctors, they put the right thing on the birth certificate, that there isn't this grand uh, conspiracy <laughs> to trick me into believing that I was born when I was born. I, I don't know that was 100%. And that was a fundamental fact about who I am. I don't yeah. have 100% certainty. There's nothing in life that we have absolute 100% certainty about. So the goal is not I'm at 100%. The, the goal is I am reasonably confident. I, yes. like, I Look, if I have to put my nickel down anywhere, this is where I put it. Yes. Down. And I think there are those fundamental things that for Christians, I mean, you can't be a Christian if you don't put your nickel down on the resurrection. Yeah, 100%. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. I think the thing that I try to remind myself is that I am most likely to be overconfident where I am most amateurish in my knowledge. There's there's literally a term for this. It's called the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. This has been shown in studies across the board where what they'll show is if you know nothing about a topic, you will rate your knowledge of it very, very low. Mm-hmm. And then if you know a little bit about the topic, your odds are you will rank your knowledge expertise higher than actual experts. Why? <laughs> Because experts actually understand what they do and don't know. In other words, they accurately rank themselves. And because they know how large the topic is at hand, they're never going to say, I'm very confident about my views in this. Right. And so again, like, this is another area where I think Christians can can kind of uh, lower the temperature on tribalism. Yes. Admitting when we're talking about politics, like, are you an economist? Right. Are you a policy wonk who understands, you know, what happens when you... What, what happens when, when, when you uh, deploy these kinds of welfare options? Do you, do you yeah. understand what happens when or how inflation? I mean, there's all these different topics. How much expertise do you actually have in this? And can you make sure that you're not speaking overconfidently about it? You know, if yes. you're across the table from a biologist talking about COVID vaccines, like maybe you, you have really strong feelings about vaccines, but maybe you should just listen to the person yeah. who's the expert in the room. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I like that you're not saying shut up. Like you're not saying you can't be a part of the conversation. Just it's, it's humility. Like it's coming to the table saying, this is what I've found. This is what I believe. This is what I hold to be true. But like, I'm not going to rip your head off if we disagree. (laughs) Like that really is what it boils down to. And both sides of the aisle are really, really bad at that. Like really (laughs) bad at it. They are far better at at name calling. They're far better at like, here's a great example of this In, in Florida. There was a law that was passed that was to uh, essentially limit your ability to talk about uh, sexuality and gender identity under third grade. So very limited scope what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And progressives called this the don't say don't gay. Don't say gay, right. right? <laughs> and so, and so, and of course, that's not what the law actually said. You're, you're allowed yep. to say gay. It's just saying that there's a certain limit where, it, and everything has to be age appropriate, which most parents, by the way, would agree with on the left or the right. But then you see the right come back with their own name calling and, and they start calling this the anti-grooming law. And, you know, grooming is a technical term for when you're trying to train a child up so that you can sexually abuse the child. Right. It's awful. And there actually are anti-grooming laws that are designed to actual stop actual sexual abuse. Like, right. I'm sorry, I might strongly disagree with what a teacher teaches. Most teachers are not trying to sexually groom my child so they can abuse them. And so what we're seeing here, again, is this name calling element. And then we can't even talk about the the topic at hand when it turns out it's actually just like a pretty reasonable, maybe a little bit unclear law. Right. Yeah. No, that was a very interesting time on the internet. The, the don't say gay bill. I refused to refer to it that way. I would only call it House Bill 4331. And people are like, <laughs> what is that? And I'm like, exactly. Exactly. Because you only know it as what CNN has titled it. It's nowhere in the bill. 
people didn't even know that it was third grade and under. It was like, eh, well, my response to that is usually, why don't you read the bill and then we can talk? Because mm-hmm. it was a seven page bill. It was not, it was not a difficult sure. one. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's all like really, like I need, I think most people need tangible. I need you to help me be able to do this well. I think what I really appreciate about this conversation is I think so many people are giving half of it, like the be kind, you don't have to retaliate, choose grace, but they're leaving out. It's okay to be in the arena. These conversations are necessary. And so I think you're holding both of those in your hands really well. And I'm, I'm really thankful that there are voices doing that because I think it's necessary. Yeah. I I think it's super necessary. And, And my prayer is that people will cross tribal boundaries. One of the reasons that we can't have these conversations, because the truth is we don't actually even know anyone well on the other side of the aisle from us. America has literally been geographically sorted. I could show you maps from 1992 to today looking at landslide counties. These are counties that pick a president by over uh, 20 points. Mm -hmm. And the amount of counties has grown massively. Now, over 50% of the counties in the United States are landslide counties, which means that if you live in 50% of the United States, which 50% of us do, you are likely living in political, geographical political bubbles. And and people, they just, they don't know each other. Uh, There was an interesting study that said that uh, Democrats believe that only 40% of Republicans agree with the statement, many Muslims are good Americans. But the truth is 66% do. Right. So that's funny. Uh, Democrats think that 50 percent of Republicans recognize that only 50 percent of, of Republicans recognize that racism still exists in America. Eighty percent do. In reality. <laughs> Democrats estimate that only 50 percent of Republicans believe properly controlled immigration can strengthen America. But in reality, 90 percent do. And it goes the other way. Republicans estimate that only 50 percent of Democrats are proud to be American. In truth, 80% are. Yeah. Republicans estimate that 66% of Democrats favor open borders, while only 30% actually do. Republicans estimate that 46% of Democrats are black, but only 25% are. And the last one, Republicans think that 38% of Democrats identify as LGBTQ, but only 6% do. Yeah. Turn turn off CNN. Yeah. <laughs> like, just turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. Like, just turn it off. Just get to know someone. Get to know somebody and get your news from a more neutral source. And I think it would fix a lot of these problems. I think it would too. And that's, again, that's my prayer is if, if you could just find one friend who you disagree with and sit across the table and say, for this conversation, I'm not going to say my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask you questions. Tell me how you grew up. Tell, because where you stand depends a lot on where you sit. Tell, tell me why. I know you hold this perspective. Tell me why. Yeah. Why do you value this? And you're going to find out that they're actually pretty reasonable people who hold their positions for pretty reasonable reasons. And you might disagree, but you'll never know it if you don't sit across from them. And I think Jesus is the prime example of this. He loved to ask questions. He he went to the Samaritan woman, someone he should have never talked to. And he sits at the well with her. And he just asks her question after question after question and draws her out. And, and that and that's that's the only way that, you know, as a Jew, you're going to learn to love a Samaritan who you know, you're supposed to hate is you have to sit across the table and get to know them and see their humanity and the beauty and the goodness in them. And that's what I think we all need to do with someone who's on the other side of the political aisle. Amen. That's a word. Patrick, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Your book, by the time this comes out, your book is out. People can get that wherever they get books. Where can people connect with you online? Yeah, uh, I live mostly in the worst place of the internet, which is Twitter. Uh, so people are are welcome to follow me there. It's Patrick K. Miller underscore. We also have a podcast called Truth Over Tribe, which is also the title of the book. We're not very creative people. Me neither. It's okay. 
Yeah, the, the podcast is is largely, it's not so much about tribalism as much as it is about cultural commentary. So we talk about politics, we talk about culture, but we really truly do come at it from, I wouldn't say a neutral perspective. I hope we come at it from a kingdom perspective. Yeah. And that means that we aren't, you know, beholden to either side. So if, you, if you're if you're in the middle of these political conversations, you're like, gosh, I want a sane, sober take, a long, in-depth, our podcasts are pretty long, uh, sober take on some of these topics, and you want to hear some of the best thinkers on these topics, we interview them. It's a great place to go and check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.